How are you guys doing this morning? Mm, okay. <laughs> Listen, we're, uh, we're finishing off our series on Philemon. And this is the very end of it. And it's been really neat to see the, the change in people's hearts. And what's so cool to me is that so many truths, so many practical lessons we can learn from this one chapter little book of Philemon. And let me recap and give you some background just to catch us up of, of what this book is all about. Now, Philemon was written probably about 57 AD, about 30 years after Jesus Christ had resurrected and ascended into heaven. And, and it's, it's an epistle, it's a letter written by Paul while he, he being in prison. He's in Rome, and he's in prison. It's kind of like a house arrest, and he can write letters, and people can see him, and he can see people. And he writes this letter to a good friend of his, Philemon. He writes this letter when he finds out that Onesimus, a former slave at Philemon, has run away. And uh, Paul got to meet Onesimus in jail. And, and this is how I imagine it, it went down. Paul's in jail. This runaway slave, Onesimus, bumps into Paul while in jail. And, and they're talking. And Paul asks, hey, man, so, so why are you in for? And Onesimus says, well, you know, I stole some money from my master. I ran away. I'm here in Rome. I got busted. And here I am. And Paul says, well, that's cool. So where are you from? Ah, uh, th this city called Colossae. And Paul says, really? A good friend of mine, man, a camarada is from, from Colossae. His name's Philemon. Do you know him? And Onesimus says, do I know him? That's the guy I'm talking about. That's who I ran away. And Paul says, wow, yeah, Philemon, man, he's a good Christian. He, he's a great guy. I led him to Christ. I hung out with him a little bit. And Onesimus says, whoa, 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 time out, Paul. Are we talking about the same guy? One of the reasons I ran away is the way he acted, and he doesn't act much like a Christian. So I, so I hear, I don't know what Christians are like. And then Paul probably turns to Anissim and says, do you know what a Christian is all about? Let me ask you this. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And probably Paul shares the gospel with him. Anissimus believes and converts. So Paul, knowing that Anissimus is now a brother in Christ and knows that Philemon is a brother in Christ, he writes this letter trying to convince his good friend Philemon to accept Anissimus. To forgive what he's done. Paul is willing to intervene and step into a relationship that needs to be reconciled. And this is what this series is all about. Reconciliation. I think Paul summarizes best in another letter that he wrote in Romans chapter 12 verse 18. Where he says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. God's words telling us, do whatever it takes. As far as it depends on you, do whatever you can do to live peaceably with everyone. So Paul is willing to do that. And he writes this letter in hopes that Philemon would accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ and a relationship could be restored. So today we're going to be looking at the last verses of Philemon, verses 17 through 25. I encourage you to follow along as always. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible underneath your chair. And we will have the verses up on the screen here behind me. So follow along. But before we jump into God's word, let me, let me open us up again in prayer. And ask God to, to be present in our hearts. Father, we want you to prepare our hearts. We want us to, I want you to just fill us up with the Holy Spirit so that we can focus on what you have to say for us today, Father. And Father, as we hear these truths, let us not only hear them, but apply them. Let us be a people where we can intervene and bring others together. 
And Father, let us be a people that live in peace so that you can just look down and have a smile on your face because I know that is your will. Your will is for us to live in the unity and the body of Jesus Christ. Father, as always, I ask that these words be yours and not mine. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Verses 17 through 25, Paul ends his letter by saying this. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I will write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he concludes his letter. I'm willing to bet two things as we begin the sermon. I'm willing to bet there are some of you here today that are sitting here today that know of two people that need to be reconciled. Two people that you know that you love. Maybe a couple that needs to reconcile in their marriage. Maybe two siblings that need to come together. I'm willing to bet that you might be in that situation right now where you can intervene and say, hey, this is what God wants you to do and, and be reconciled to each other. I know he's hurt you. I know you are in quarrel, but I want to be part of your building bridges back together again. I'm willing to bet some of you are in that situation right now. And I'm pretty sure if you're not in a situation right now, you're in a situation where you've got a quarrel with someone else. That there's something that's keeping you from building a relationship with a loved one, with a parent, with a sibling. You're at odds with somebody right now. Well, today I want to get really, really practical. I'm going to follow some points, some steps that we can do. First of all, how we can be that person that who can intervene, who could step in between two loved ones and bring them together in Christ. They're simple, hard to do, but simple steps that we can apply. And then I want to show you seven steps on how you can start that restoration with a loved one. If you're in quarrel with someone, what you can do to, to, to bring that peace between you and that somebody else. And my hope is that you not only take some notes, but you apply these notes. Again, that's, they're very practical. And if you do, if you listen, if you write down these notes and you apply them, I'm going to save you a whole bunch of money because you don't have to go to counseling. And you know what? This is really what, what I hope for is that maybe us pastors should get some time off. You know what I mean? You guys do this. You don't need pastors anymore to come. You know how many counseling sessions we do? I want to play a little bit more golf, be able to go to the pulga, those things. So <laughs> apply these things. You'll see. So there's a lot of notes where once you, and I encourage you to, if you open up your worship guide, you'll see about 76 points. No, I'm kidding. There's six simple procedures that you can do to reconcile to people and seven simple steps that if you would follow and obey, you'll see your life transformed and united with a loved one as the way God wants you to. So here we go. Get your pens ready. Step number one. I will put myself in the middle. 
I am willing to put myself in the middle. You see two people that should be reconciled to each other, be willing to man up, woman up, and say, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to put myself in the middle and help this reconciliation process. The way Paul does, he, he writes this letter for that purpose. Look what he says in verse 17. He says this, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And he's saying, Philemon, you and I are tight, man. We're, we're brothers in Christ. We're, we're camaradas, right? We're cool, right? If so, which I think we are, I, I know we are, I want you to, to accept Onesimus. He says, receive him as you would receive me. In other words, if I, Paul, go knock on your door tomorrow, uh, Philemon, and you open the door and you give me a kiss, that's weird, give me a hug, and then Onesimus goes and knocks on your door, I want you to give him a hug as well. If you wash my feet when you see me, wash his feet. If you do a carnesada for me, do a carnesada for my brother in Christ, your brother in Christ, Onesimus. He's willing to lay it all on the line and says, I'm stepping up because I know God's word. And he wants you guys to reconcile, to forgive and become one in the body of Christ. But see, most of us, if not all of us, aren't even willing to do that. We make up excuses, no. One of the biggest excuses I hear, or maybe you, you know of, that, that, that's excusing you from intervening in a relationship, is saying, well, that's none of my business. It's not my problem. Hay que se arreglen ellos solos. I don't want to jump into that mess. Another excuse that we use quite a bit, and I'm no one to judge. Who am I to judge? Excuses. Let, let me just say something about judging others. Matthew 7 says, do not judge. Clear as that. But we, as fellow Christians, uh, as loving Christians as in, in a community with each other, we are to judge people's actions, not their motives. There's a big difference. An example, if I see a, a brother in Christ who is drunk, I'm going to judge because he is drunk. But I'm not going to judge him. That's what he's doing. I'm not going to judge him because he's a drunk. I don't know where he's been, why the, the situation he is to cause him to drink. I'm going to judge what he does, not why he does it. I'm going to say, oh, forget about him. He's just a drunk. He's no good. No, that's not what you're supposed to judge. You're supposed to judge their actions. So that's an excuse we use. It's just an excuse. Or the other one is, I'm not qualified. Someone else can do a better job than I can. Why should I get in the middle? Let me just say this. If you're sitting here today, you are more than qualified because God has you here for a purpose today. If you know of two people that need to come together, then you need to step up and God's saying, you are the one I want to use. You are my vessel. Another excuse, and this is probably more, the most common one, is saying, well, I'm good with this person. And if I, you know... Step on their toes. I might not be good with them or vice versa. I have a relationship with both of them. I'm good. No. Step up. Paul had a great relationship with Philemon. He just built a good relationship with Onesimus. And he says, I don't care. I'm going to write this letter. I'm going to be bold and frank and do whatever it takes to have you two guys hopefully reconcile. And Paul does that. Second step. I will be willing to shoulder the debt. I will be willing to shoulder the debt. Look what Paul says. Verse 18. He says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, he says, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. 
to say nothing of your own me, even your own self. Paul's writing and saying, you know what, Philemon, I, I know he stole from you. I know he did something wrong. I know he hurt you. He said, you know what, whatever he owes you, I, I don't know what it is, but whatever he owes you, put it on my account. I'm going to repay it. As a matter of fact, back then, they had scribes who would write letters. In this case, it was Timothy. Because in verse 1 says that I, Paul, and Timothy are writing you this letter. So at this point, Paul takes that paper and pen from Timothy and says, you know what, Philemon, I'm initialing it. I owe you. I will repay it. My own handwriting, highlighted, mark it, trust me. He was willing to shoulder the debt. And I love this verse because this, this is the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. Jesus Christ was willing to step out of heaven and said, you know what, Father, I know that they have sinned against us. I know that they have sinned against you, but I'm willing to take all their debt. As a matter of fact, I am willing to die for them so that you can be reconciled. So Jesus took on God's wrath, the wrath that you and I should have taken, and said, put it on me, Jesus said. It's on me, whatever it is. And Paul is using that example because he knew that Jesus Christ paid a far greater debt than whatever Onesimus owed Philemon. And see, we're a little confused when it comes to, to that. Some of us think of religion a little differently. And religions, even Christian religions believe, you know what? I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins and he paid for my debt, but I still got to do something. He didn't pay it completely. I love the way one pastor puts it. He says, religion can be summed up in one word, do. I need to do this, and then I got to do this, and then I got to do this, and once I do, I do this, and if I mess up, I got to do it again, I got to do this, and do, 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 do. You know what that is? A bunch of doo-doo. That's what that is. Christianity, true Christianity, having a relationship with Jesus Christ can be summed up in one word, done. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and said it was finished, it was finished, done. He paid for your sin debt and for mine. And Paul is saying this, hey, Philemon, I will, I will burden not only financially whatever he owes you, but I know you've been hurt. I know he's hurt you. I know he's wronged you. I am willing to come alongside with you and help in that restoration process between you and Onesimus. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm intervening, intervening and I'm going to come alongside, and we're going to do this together. If you know of someone that's in that situation, you be, have to be willing to pay some sort of sacrifice, some sort of debt, and say, I will be there with you, and grab your hand, and grab your hand, and unite together, because that is God's will. Next thing we need to do is this. I will appeal on the basis of friendship. I will appeal on the basis of friendship. In other words, if you have to leverage your friendship, do it. Whatever it takes, be willing to sacrifice. Look how, how Paul puts it, again in verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will repay it. And this is where he says this, to say nothing of your owing me, even your old self. He's saying, hey, Philemon, who brought you to Christ? Who was there with you? You owe me. It's payback. He's willing to do that. He's willing to lay it on the line and says, hey, I haven't asked for anything from you. I'm asking this from you now. I need you to. I want you to accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ. If you feel you have a relationship, a true relationship with that person, 
or people, then you should be willing to say, hey, let's be real, man. I've done this. We're tight. I need you to do this for me for the sake of me, for the sake of our friendship. But we have a, a great misunderstanding when it comes to what true friendships are all about. We believe more of what the world says a true friendship is all about than what God says a true friendship is all about. And I love the way James McDonald uh, lists some of the differences between true friendships and, and false friendships. A false friendship says this, live and let live. None of my business. I'm not going to get involved. It's just like our excuse that we use. That's a false friendship. But a true friendship says we need to hold each other accountable. When you're doing wrong or I'm doing wrong, I'm going to feel confident enough that you can speak truth into me or vice versa. That's one of the things I love about Grace is that we have these small groups. We funneled everything through our small groups. Just by the way, we start our small group sign up next, next semester. And just a little plug in there because I'm the small group pastor and I want my ministry to look good. You know what I'm saying? So not only that, it's not even that. If you've never been in a small group, I encourage you to sign up because this is the type of friendship I'm talking about. My closest friends, my best friends have evolved because of a small group. In a small group, you come together, you fellowship in a Christian way. You grow stronger each other, with each other in God's love. You can hold each other accountable. You can speak truth to each other. And that's where it begins in a small group. Another false idea that we have uh, when it comes to friendship is that you just want to be comfortable. I want you to be comfortable. I'm comfortable. And as long as we're happy, it's okay. But a true friendship says this, you know what? I want you right with God. And if you're doing something wrong, I can come and say, you need to stop because it's not right with God. Let's, let's align ourselves with God again so we can align ourselves the way God wants us to align ourselves in our friendships. A false friendship says this, I don't want any conflict. I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to live in peace. But a true friendship lives off of in truth, integrity, and character. Those are the important characteristics of a true Christian friendship. Lastly, a false friendship has blindness to faults. You know they're doing wrong, but you turn away, you pretend to not see. But a true friendship can come and say, you know what, brother, you're messing up here. And I know we both are sinners. I know we're both our fault. I know you're messing up, but I love you anyways, regardless of your fault. Can we start going back to what God says and how we can speak truth into each other and live in a right, godly manner? Next thing we can do, step number four. I will bring the issue into God's word. I will bring the issue into God's word. Again, Paul is doing all these steps in this letter to Philemon. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. And then he says, refresh my heart in Christ. Again, he's saying, look, I want something from you. I want some benefit from you. But it's not in vain. It's, it's what the Lord says. Refresh my heart in Christ. What does God want us to do? You know God's word. I know God's word. Let's practice it. He doesn't want us to be in quarrel with each other. He wants us to be in love and unity with each other. So let's bring it back to God's word. You cannot deny what God says. He's telling Philemon. Don't listen to me. 
Listen to him. Now, some of you, if you try this, because I've tried it, you will hear an excuse like, you know, you're right, but let me pray about it. I need to meditate about it and pray about it. See, see really what God wants. If that happens to you when you're doing these steps, when you're trying to intervene between two people, just stop right then and there and say, you know what, you're right. We do need to pray. Let, let's pray right now. I'll go first and pray something like this. Father, last time I saw in your word, you wanted us to be reconciled. You want us to forgive each other, not have anger and bitterness in our heart. Am I correct? Because otherwise, Father, let us know right now through the Holy Spirit. If we open up your word right now, what would I read? Is there any different than from the years, thousands of years ago? Is that your will? We ask you in your son's name, amen. And then you say this, your turn. They can't deny it. It's just an excuse. So you always bring them to God's word as Paul is doing here. This is what God wants us to do, Philemon. It's his will. The next thing we can do is this. I will express confidence that they will do what's right. I will express confidence that they will do what's right. And Paul puts it very boldly as he's writing this letter to Philemon. He says this in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul telling Philemon, I have no doubt, brother, zero doubt. I'm so confident that you're going to do what this letter says you should do, what God says you should do. As a matter of fact, you're going to surprise me. You're going to do even more than what I'm asking you. He's saying, I know you will. It's the same thing that Pastor Adrian taught in the very first message of this series and saying, we need to believe in them. We need to know that God is working in their hearts and they will do what it's right. And Paul's saying, I have confidence in you. You will do it. He's challenging him by using these positive words. We need to challenge people we know so they can step up to the plate and reconcile with a loved one. And then finally, as Paul does, step number six, I will follow up with them. I will follow up with them. Hold them accountable. Hopefully they do what they said they're going to do and then follow up. Don't let it all go to the wayside. As Paul says here in verse 22, he says, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. He's saying, Philemon, you're not going to be able to get away with it. I'm going to know if you are reconciling with Anisimus. Prepare a room for me. I'm going to go visit with you and I'll know the truth. I'm going to hold you accountable. We too should do that. Tell our friends the truth and say, hey, you need to do this. You need to reconcile. And then be confident that they will do what you're asking them to do. And then make sure that they do it in a loving way. Now some of you are saying, okay, those are pretty cool. Good suggestions. Again, I don't, I'm not in that situation right now. I can't think of anybody who I can be in the middle of, of bringing them close together again. Maybe not. But you will. I guarantee that after you hear this message, God will illuminate two people that you know you can intervene. Maybe not now, but later on. I'm going to bring it back again. I know that some of you here are sitting here and, and saying, I'm in a difficult situation, a relationship, or I've lost a relationship with a loved one. 
I hear stories all the time between two siblings that have been separated for some dumb reason or two best friends or, or, or a married couple. All the time I hear stories of, well, my parents passed away and the inheritance wasn't left the way I wanted to, so now my siblings and I are torn apart. Really? You know, God always speaks truth to me, and he should to you when you open up God's word. But there's something about preparing a sermon that, wow, you just feel convicted. And as I prepared for this sermon, God kept telling to me, practice what you preach. Don't be a hypocrite. See, my brother and I are in that relationship right now. My brother and I grew up close. I'm talking close. Even though we're five years apart, we did life together, sports together. We even lived in the same apartment in college for a couple of years. And after he graduated, he started working for an industry. He got me my first job in that same industry. Tight. His wedding, I was his best man. My wedding, he was his best. I mean, you know what I'm saying. We were close. But then about six years ago, I started getting more involved in ministry, and he started getting more involved with our business because we, we both had a business together. We saw each other every day. We, we traveled together. I'd see my brother more than I'd see my own wife. And he's still very close to me. I see my brother like a dad. But in my heart, the Holy Spirit was putting, you need to do this. You need to reconcile with your brother because you know there's something wrong. And as we started splitting apart about five years ago, Nothing that I did maybe or he did, it, it just happened. And then during this past relationship of the last five years, we've, we've gotten into arguments because I think some things differently than he does. And there's some really dumb things we argue about. And every time we argue, we just get farther and farther apart. And yeah, we, we see each other at church. We say, hi, hey, how's it going, man? But the, it's not genuine. It's not the way it used to be. And God was telling me, you need to step up and do what I'm asking you to do. So these are the steps that I followed, these next seven steps that God put in my heart to do, and I did it, and trust me, if you just obey just a little of them, you will see God change your heart, and I know, I know for a fact, some of you are sitting here right now with resentment in your heart, with anger, with unforgiveness, a loved one, they say, it's their fault. I would, if you knew what they did to me, I get it. You've been hurt, but God is telling you, reconcile, as he told me. And I did these steps, and I'm happy to say that after a two-and-a-half-hour conversation, we're not where we, we, we used to be, but, man, we're in the process of getting there. And after we had this conversation, he texted me. After, after we hugged, he said, I love you. I said, I love you too, man. And the very next day, we talked about basketball and football. We're in the process because I listened to God's word. He's my brother. He, she's your sister. They're your parents. They're your cousins. They're your loved ones. One of my favorite verses that Christ himself talks about in the Bible is Matthew. And what he talks about on forgiveness, Matthew 5, and this is so convicting. In Matthew 5, 23 to 24, Jesus says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, he says. 
First reconciled, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. He's saying, you know what? Don't even come to worship me if you have a a difficulty or, or you have unforgiveness in your heart. Go reconcile with your brother. Go reconcile with whoever that is. And then come to me. He's saying, you know, if you have to miss church to go reconcile, if you're sitting here right now, you need to go reconcile, go. Go. No, don't leave. It'll be awkward. But he's saying, go. But if you do, if God's convicting your heart, you need to leave. This, this is what he says. Leave your gift before you leave. So before you leave, leave your offering and the baskets out there, and then you can go, right? God's commanding us to reconcile. It is so important to him. How can it not be important to us? Seven steps to reconcile uh, a relationship with someone that you care about, a relationship that can be restored. Step number one, I will make the first move. I will make the first move. It's hard. I waited five years to have this conversation. And finally, I manned up and said, you know what? God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to take that leap of faith and make that first move. And you need to make that leap of faith and take that first move, whoever God is convicting you in your heart right now. Make the first move. Don't let time go by anymore. Time does not fix this type of relationship. As a matter of fact, I think it makes it worse. This resentment that I had in my heart and the resentment that he had in his heart, and every time we'd argue, the more time we let it go, it would just get worse. You can't brush something under the rug. If you want to be able to, to fix something, you need to be able to face it, especially when it comes to conflict. You need to be willing to make the first move. Second step. I will ask God for wisdom. I will ask God for wisdom. In other words, pray. Pray about it. James 1.5 says this, if you lack wisdom, ask and you shall receive it. If it's God's will, you will get it. Just like I prayed and the Holy Spirit was waking me up in the middle of the night saying, you need to do this and pray. As a matter of fact, what I want to do right now, because I have it, I have it in my heart that if some of you right now have someone in mind or can't think of anyone either to put together in a relationship or that you're in a conflict with, I want us to stop and just pray for a minute. I want to pray over us right now that these words become actions. So bow your head with me and let's pray for, for wisdom at this point. Heavenly Father, these truths are so convicting and hard to hear, Father, but I know that the Holy Spirit is working in us. Maybe it's a spouse, a brother like it is, was in my case, a sister, a parent, a loved one. Father, give us the strength, the wisdom, the guidance to do what you ask us to do. And Father, let let, that more time pass anymore. Let us, if need be, do it right after this service. Make that phone call. Make that initial step. I know that it's your will. I know you're for us. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So just do it. And think of a place where you guys can be open and real with each other. Some place that is not in public, just privately. Finally, when I mustered up the courage to call my brother, we decided a certain place where we could just be real and cry if we have to. That's what you should do as well. Third step. After you meet a place and you're sitting face to face, it's this. I will begin with what's my fault. This is so important. 
Begin with what's your fault. And I will begin with what's my fault. Even though you're thinking, man, 99.9999% is his fault or her fault. You had something to do with it. Trust me. It takes two to be in a relationship. So open up by saying, you know what? This is where I realize that I've contributed into us getting farther apart. I shouldn't have done this and I see it now. Humble yourself. When you confess to God, you'll see that, hey, you're probably just as much as fault as they were. So start saying, this is what I did. This is how I contributed. Again, I did this. And just there was a calmness in the room when I started that way. There was a humility. And it felt good for me too. And then just the conversation just turned. So start by admitting, hey, I'm at fault. And humble yourself. Step number four. I will listen to their hurts and perspectives. I will listen to their hurts and perspectives. You don't say a word. After you say what's wrong, what, what you did wrong, you listen. You hear, you understand them. God gave us two ears and one mouth so we can listen more and speak less. And if you need to bite your tongue, you bite your tongue. Because that conversation will be like, well, there you go. You just admitted how you were wrong. And I agree and this and this and this. And just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and listen. And then little by little, God will work in their heart and start saying, you know what? I, I messed up too. And I can see how you admitted where you're wrong. Let me admit where I'm wrong. And you listen and you understand where they're coming from. And you affirm what you're hearing by saying, you know what, I can see why you felt that way. I know now why you were hurt or you acted the way you acted or reacted the way you reacted. You see, you need to, you need to understand before you're understood. Listen so you can explain yourself. Remember, you're quiet at this time until this next step. The next step I will do is I will speak the truth in love. It's, it's your turn to speak now, but it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You will speak the truth in love. There's a way of saying, you know what? You see what we're talking about, this, this, this argument we're in. I see where you're coming from, see where I'm coming from, but this is where you hurt me. And he will listen to you, but say it in a loving way. Man, I love you, but you hurt me by saying this or doing this. God will show you if you ask what words to say. So you speak to them in love. Speak the truth, but in love. Step number six, I will fix the problem, not the blame. I will fix the problem, not the blame. You're not going in there to, to, to this conversation to prove that you were right and they were wrong. It's not a, a pointing of fingers thing. It's not, you know, put the blame. You're going to focus on the problem. If you do these steps and you start concentrating on what causes the conflict, there's got to be something that, that's a core effect of all these other little conflicts. You need to focus on what was the major cause. Why do we start to drift apart? And once you get that, you do some simple steps that we do in marriage counseling. And this is what you do. When you get to the root cause of whatever it was, not the little arguments that followed afterwards, but what caused this conflict between you and your loved one, you just list out 10 things to resolve the problem. 10 things. 
As crazy as it be, for, for example, let's just pretend that my brother and I, after we're having this conversation, we realize that the root cause of, of why we started separating was that one of us felt that my, our mom didn't love us anymore or that our mom loved one more than the other. That wasn't the, the case. I don't want you to start spreading rumors. Let's just pretend, okay? So we write, my mom comes to church and she finds out she's going to freak out, but no. Let's just pretend that was a cause. So we would list 10 suggestions. So I would go first. I got a good idea. Why don't I not see my mom anymore? I, I, I completely prevent from talking to her and you see her and she's got to like you more if that's what you feel. It's ridiculous. You can't do that. Or I know what. I can be really, really mean to my mom and you be really, really nice to her. She's got to love you more if that's how we feel, right? So how ridiculous it is. You write those ten things out and little by little you'll come to one agreement. Maybe two things. Maybe... You and I should go talk to our mom and tell them how we feel. Maybe that will help. Maybe unknowingly she's doing it. And she doesn't know what's causing our pain. Do that. Focus on the solution. Don't, don't, don't focus on the blame game. Get that solution in the surface and work on resolving that conflict. Finally, step number seven. I will focus on the relationship, not the resolution. And I think this is the most important thing. Focus on the relationship. If that conversation goes to the wayside, the most important thing, your number one priority is to build that relationship. No matter who's at fault, no matter who was right, who was wrong, that is your priority. If in this step you need to say, you know what, please forgive me then so be it. We learned the process of forgiveness last week, and if you need to follow that, follow that. There's one thing I want to say, a couple of things I want to say about forgiveness is we, we believe that forgiving means forgetting. And that's so not true. We are called to forgive. We must forgive, but we, sometimes we can't forget. In a relationship, we've been hurt but God is telling us, you need to trust me and forgive that person. He's not telling us that you need to restore that relationship. Some relationships can be restored. If there's abuse or, or there's something in your safety that can harm your safety, you don't need to restore that relationship, but you do need to forgive. And if you should restore that relationship, then you should follow these processes and take the first step. And building that trust is going to take a while. My brother and I have been hurt. I hurt him. He hurt me. And it's not where we used to be. And, and, but we're on the right process. I got to make him trust me. And, and he's got to make himself trust me. Again, you know what I'm talking about. It's a process. The other thing is that you got to be willing to trust God and say, Father, I'm going to forgive. Not easy, but I know you're going to help me. And you know how they've wronged me. But your word says that vengeance is yours. So I know you're going to take care of it. Because this hatred, this anger I have in my heart is only damaging me. I'm being enslaved with unforgiveness. If that's you, you got to let go and let God. Learn to forgive and live in peace. See, I know this man that we read about and we have a relationship who did these things, both of these things, both of these procedures perfectly. His name is Jesus Christ. See, like I mentioned, he was more than willing to step out of heaven 
and restore relationship between you and I and the Father. He was willing to die. He did die so that you and I can be restored to God. But not only that, he was willing to, to be the first one to make that first step when it comes to forgiveness. A day before he was crucified, the same people that crucified him were honoring him, were laying palms on the floor as he walked in to Jerusalem. The very next day he was spat on, he was hit, tortured, and then crucified. But as he hung there on the cross, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. If we have been forgiven a much greater offense than anyone can give in us, how can we not forgive those? Imagine a church. No. Let's be a church who is willing to step up and reconcile two loved ones to listen to God. Let's be a church who is willing to forgive as hard as it may be. Let's be a church that is a true church in the body of Christ. Let's pray.